0: they'll never stop you walking down the street and say oh I love what you do they'll probably be like oh and I, I know who you are I can't probably recall your name but I've seen you on Instagram I like your walk but they'll never be like oh my god your content changed my life and stuff like that to experience that you need to really have the courage to number one experiment there will be content pieces that will not work out while you're experimenting but that's okay that's the price that you have to pay to stand out and be original and number two just having the patience of giving it time we live in a world where like, instant gratification is the name of the game
1: Hello and welcome. I'm your host Pradesh Sanyal and you're listening to The 1% Project. Conversations that will help you understand how some of the smartest minds build, scale and operate new ideas and ventures. If you enjoy these conversations, do share and subscribe. Today on The 1% Project, I'm speaking to Shriya Kapoor. Shriya kicked off her career at Bain Consulting went on to become a content strategist and influencer with 650,000 Instagram followers within 18 months and was recognized by LinkedIn as a top voice for 2022. This is a fascinating conversation with a young content influencer about why and how she chose to leave consulting and join the creator economy. Shreya shares her journey from college to becoming a content creator, her relationship with money, Given her Instagram content is about personal finance, her lessons as a content influencer, and much more. Among all the insights and anecdotes that Shriya shares, the one that stood out was her father's advice. If your content and work can easily be copy pasted, then you are not creating good enough content. If you have any feedback about this conversation, speaker, or topic recommendations, you can drop me a line at pritesh at the rate 1% dot life, Subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to it. And you can sign up to the 1% Project's newsletter at 1% dot life for key insights and show notes from this conversation and every other conversation. Welcome Share, to the 1% Project.
0: Thank you so much for having me here, Pritesh.
1: What is your journey from college to... To being a content creator with six hundred fifty thousand Instagram followers within eighteen months.
0: A lot of people think that it was a move that I made, thinking something, and like I thought that like I would or would have always wanted to become a content creator or something like that. But that was it. Couldn't be more farther from the reality because content creation was never on my list of things I would want to do or like a passion or anything like that. Not even something that I took very seriously, to be honest. I remember when I was in my college my only sole objective really there was to get into a consulting firm because we were in an environment where everybody was talking about oh mbb is like the place to be the exit opportunities were so great and we'd seen our seniors go through that time and time again that we felt like if you got through like an mbb form you sorted for life basically not only that brings about like great salary package and like everything else but also like even if you want to exit that and if you want to go for your mba you can very easily get into ivy league colleges right after your mbb stint that was my laser focus when i was in college really to get into like uh, bain or. McKenzie. I was just very grateful for the fact that I got through Bain and Bain was the first company on campus for at least our college. I honestly wasn't expecting that to happen at all but anyway that happened and I worked there for almost two years but what just didn't sit right with me at the time was I felt that I cannot probably do this forever even though everybody I was working with there in Bain was phenomenal and I got some amazing opportunities and there were like international travels for both of those years that I was there. But I just somehow felt like this cannot be it. Like, I cannot be doing this forever. And at the time, I don't know why, M- like, MBA just seemed to be like an escape plan rather than something that I was looking forward to, very honestly. Like, I remember a lot of my peers in Bain were, like, going for their MBA or, like, probably shifting jobs to probably, like, some other MEB firm or a big four or, like, somewhere else. But I felt that that just didn't sit right with me because I felt like I'd be doing very similar work and anything that I do now is more of an escape rather than something that I'm probably excited about very honestly. Yeah, I might get like a salary hike, but that's about it. But because I was in my early 20s, I was like hey, if I don't take a risk now, I'll probably not be able to do that 10-15 years down the line. I probably don't have that kind of risk appetite to, to do like a career shift when I'm like 40. I thought I might as well just try things now. When I quit my job around like February of 2020, my only objective is to find something that I'm good at and something that I can make money out of in the next six months. So I saved up for it. I had an emergency fund ready. I moved in with my parents because when I was working with Bain, I shifted to Gurgaon because it was closer to my office. But because I left my job, I came back home and also COVID was happening at the time. So you anyway had to stay home. So I didn't have a lot of expenses happening, not a lot of travel happening, obviously. So I was saving up on money and had an emergency fund ready. So I was like, OK, I'll give myself six months to figure what I'm good at and what can I monetize. That's when I started doing freelancing with strategy and content marketing, because these were the things I had experience in, given my background with MBB. So I started helping out friends and family. I reached out to them asking if anybody was starting a venture and if they needed help with that. A few friends came out. I helped them out to build my portfolio and then I was very active on LinkedIn, very active on Instagram. I created like a separate profile where I was posting content around strategy. So I got a lot of inbound leads because of that slowly and gradually after the second month, I got like my first big client. So I started working with fintech brand at the time, not something that I had planned on very honestly, but given my background, fintech brands just gravitated towards me. They said that, Oh, you have a finance background. You have an experience with strategy. So, you know, why not work with a fintech brand? It made sense at the time, but not something that I had planned on again. So I started working with fintech brands and then one thing led to another. One brand came, then another brand came, stuff like that, because I was using their name as, oh, existing client. So I was able to reach out to other clients because of that. So that happened and around December of 2020, one of these fintech brands reached out saying, and I was already working with them. I'd worked with them for like a good three, four months at this point. And they said that you already help us out with strategy aspect and the content marketing aspect of things. Why don't you just become the face of our YouTube channel also? And all you really need to do is record videos on your iPhone, like for 10-15 minutes. That's about it. We'll take care of the editing. We'll take care of the scripting and everything. Also, You all you need to do is just record yourself saying these things. And my response to that was like an immediate no. Like I remember getting on that call with one of their heads from marketing. And my immediate response was no i cannot do this because i had this chronic fear of speaking in front of the camera which is very ironic now but it was like that and i was just like okay anything but that so i said an immediate no but then i thought about it because i was like he like i probably at some point in time will have to speak in front of the camera like i should right because even as a content strategist even if i have to put out my content just as a freelancer i'll probably have to make videos because video content is, was booming at the time, like back in 2020, 2021, even today. So that's when I realized that, oh, I should probably give it a shot. And the worst that can happen is that I'll not like it the first time I do it. And that's fine. I can always say no again. I went back to them after a week and I said, okay, I'll probably give it a shot. But at the time, they'd already hired somebody else which is i'm okay with that now but at the time i was like really heartbroken i was like oh my god i'm like so easily replaceable which is and of course like a company goes on so that initial push came that okay i have to start creating video form content in some shape or form so that's when i started my own page on instagram around april of 2021 i remember this date so clearly because i remember that's when the financial year was starting and i was like oh first April is when I'll put out my first piece of content that was like my entire strategy. I posted initially just static posts like I was not posting video form content like even if you go to my page now you will see that for weeks at a stretch I was just posting like static posts rather than like reels because that's what I thought was my comfort zone at the time and I start wanted to take it slow because again it was not something that I was taking up full time at least in my head. I had my freelancing job and this was something that I was doing more as a passion project. And initially when I started out, the name of the page was the money sapling and not even my own name, like not even my own face as the page icon because I didn't want anybody to recognize me. Like I didn't want anybody to figure out, oh, it was me behind the face, behind the name of the page because I felt that I am already very camera conscious and just the thought of my friends and my family watching it just made it a lot worse. So I was like, just let's just use a pseudo name or stuff like that. And that's what I started doing initially, but then one of the posts that I put out, I still remember it was around index funds, a lot of finance influencers shared them on their stories very kindly because they thought that was a good post and then even their audience could derive value out of it which is why I got a lot of followers overnight and that was the first time when I realized that, oh, I should probably start taking this a lot more seriously than I am and that's when I was pushed towards creating video form content because I was like, if I have to grow on the platform, I have to make video form content. There is no alternative. That's how the journey started and yeah, I haven't really looked back since.
1: Your LinkedIn and Instagram personas are different. So what is the strategy behind uh, having two different personas?
0: That was not again like something that I created a strategy for, and I say that a lot for somebody who works in, who's worked in strategy, and still continues to work in strategy, because I always felt uh, like my profiles were the experimentation ground for what I tell my clients. I always try to experiment on my profiles first, rather than and testing out different theories before I t- told my clients to go down a certain route. But that being said, I think this approach was a little more like there was a little more method to the madness here because I felt like I experimented everything on both of those platforms. So on Instagram, I tried putting out content around freelancing and I tried to be, oh, like I worked with consulting firm and I tried to speak about that. But the numbers just didn't align with what I would want it to be. But on LinkedIn, it was the exact opposite. Every time I talked about freelancing, consulting or like me shifting from consulting to freelancing how did I do that what were the mistakes I made I always got like above average views in terms of how the audience was perceiving it to be so just from that just from a very data-driven perspective I thought that if I talk about core finance it just performs better on Instagram for me personally like the audience really appreciates me talking about oh credit card hacks and insurance and income tax and stuff like that but when I take that put that on LinkedIn, it doesn't perform that well. Like it performs, it gives me average views. But the minute I switch my stance to, oh, freelancing and consulting, I've had that background also, people just respond in a much more positive way. So that's the reason why I have a different persona on both of these platforms. It was not something that I decided very early on. I experimented on both of these platforms and what worked, I just doubled down on.
1: Let's just talk about your Instagram persona and the objective there. Your followers, do you think they follow you because of The quality of the content, how interesting you make it, the fun aspect of it, or is it the knowledge behind it that actually attracts them?
0: On a platform like Instagram, it's not just, yeah, we try to sort of narrow it down to, oh, we just talk about finance. But in all honesty, we're trying to grab attention from every niche there is, right? There are people making literally comedy skits and people making dance videos, which are just a lot more entertaining to watch than say like a finance reel. So... We're competing with them and not just competing within the niche of like educational content. So if you think from that perspective, it's very important to bring a certain element of like entertainment or like something that surprises them or leaves them with, oh, I would want to come back and watch this again. Because if I just sit down, talk to my camera and say, oh, yeah, income sec- income tax section ATD says whatever, nobody's going to come back to my profile or watch or even remember that, oh, this person never existed. Because we can go on Instagram and scroll through Reels for hours and not even remember the username of the people put that content out, right? Because that's how the entire app is designed. The UX, UI is such that we don't really have to care about who's putting out that content as long as we are looking at content and scrolling through it. So just to stand out and just to create a very unique brand proposition for yourself, I think that's when I realized that it's very important for me to sort of play characters who are very different from who I am in real life, very honestly. Like, they might be an extension of me in some cases. They might take be inspired from, like, parts of me, might be inspired from parts of others that I've grown up with and I've seen these people around me. So it's just that. So, so one character that I really play is a South Delhi boy who's, like, really spoiled, really bratty. Doesn't really know a lot. Crashes his dad's cars left, right and center. And he talks all about car insurance. So he's a character who's a permanent returning character. Whenever I'm talking about car insurance in specific. Then there's a South auntie that I play. Who's always there when oh his her kids are coming back to her. Telling her, oh, this is how you save taxes. And she's, oh, but I don't have to. Like, I don't need to. So that's, uh, again, a returning character. And people love her. Like, I remember I get... Like, very frequently this happens and I get DMs saying that, oh, when is that auntie going to come back? And I'm like, oh, wow, people do remember. And people are, like, specifically asking for her. Number one, it creates, like, people resonate with these characters. Because if they've seen these people around them somewhere, probably in a public transportation or, like, in their friend circle. So people resonate with these characters. And sometimes they just tag their friends saying, oh, this is so you. That just brings a smile to my face. And because people resonate with that character in in such a fun way and it's not very overwhelming at all, which is why when I'm delivering something that this character is saying, people are able to understand it a lot better. If I created a persona which was like, oh, this person just knows a lot more than I do, so I can probably never do what she's doing, people would never really be able to understand that personal finance is actually not very complicated and not as overwhelming as People on the television make it seem. It's actually very, very achievable. Which is why my characters somehow imbibe those qualities that they're very achievable people. These are the people you know. And they also make mistakes on the regular. But if they can learn about it, so can you. That's the kind of approach that I have to creating skits, to creating characters. And also sometimes my characters are inspired from like their television series or favorite movies. So today it's 2nd of November. It's Shah Khan's birthday. And he also just happens to be like my favorite actor of all times. So I've created a lot of reels inspired from like his scenes in movies, which people just resonate with. For example, his scene in Chadha, India, where he says that, oh, I am the coach of the team and stuff like that. So I created a very similar reel saying that, oh, I am an index fund and pe- and their individuals talking about their industries and that's not required. So that's the parallel that I drew there. People really appreciate that reel. Sometimes it's inspired from people, from things I see around me or people I- or some other characters that I see oh, probably on the internet. And I try to like take certain characteristics from them. Or sometimes it's just purely based out of TV series like Shit's Creek or The Office, for example. Or just like a popular pop culture movie or reference and just try to recreate that in a finance aspect so that people can understand. That becomes like a familiarity touchpoint and then you introduce a topic which you're not familiar with so it kind of balances it out.
1: You focus on finance on Instagram. What is your relationship with money.
0: That's a good question because I think my relationship with money in itself is like a separate chapter if I ever write a book because it's been very different, like it's at different stages of my life, very honestly. I remember very early on, I did not have a very good relationship with money because... I remember when I was born was also the time, like exact same time when my dad started his own business. Even though he's a CA, like he started his own practice back in like 1995 and I was born in 96. I saw that, okay, there were like, even though not very actively, but I think as children, you see what's happening around you. Like you pick up on little cues. I realized that my parents were like saving up a lot. There was some scarcity around money because my mom also was starting out her career as a teacher. So again, like the family income in general was not something like that would allow us to live like lavishly or anything like that. But I see that the relationship that my younger brother has with money is very different. Even though we've grown up in similar houses, similar like schools we went to, similar college background, everything is very similar. But he has a much more positive relationship with money than I do. He's a lot more comfortable spending money on what he wants or needs than I and in a very healthy way right if you're earning money and if you're not even buying something that makes you happy and something that's even necessary sometimes what's the use of that money at the end of the day I feel so I always I remember even when I was in vain and I was earning decent amount of money for somebody who's just 21, 22 I was earning six figures a month so I could have very easily done what I wanted to do but I pushed travel plans with my friends I didn't go out to eat I didn't Uber back home. I was like, "Oh well, I'll take the metro." Even if it took like me two, it took me two hours to get back home. So all of those, which I could have very easily done and budgeted for, I just didn't do because I was coming from that like scarcity mindset around money, just for no reason at all. It was not like my parents didn't meet like my basic necessity or they didn't allow me to buy things that I wanted to. They, in fact, like my dad used to push me that, "Oh, please go ahead buy this. Why aren't you? Because your brother is. Why aren't you?" So that was the kind of a relationship I remember having with money as a child. But that's something that I very actively worked on ever since I left Bain. I very quickly realized that this sort of dawned upon me when I became a freelancer and I was working with a laptop which was not that great. And my dad literally had to sit me down and say that, okay, don't think of it as a luxury or anything. Just think of it as an investment in your business. You can write it off. And I think that's when I was like, oh, I'm comfortable now with buying like a MacBook. So Just like small things like this, but I think just talking to my family, friends and like actually also taking professional help for it, like in terms of therapy has really helped me like recognize that there's something wrong. I think for the longest time, I didn't recognize. I always took pride in the fact that, oh, I'm just saving a lot of money and I'm saving like 90% of my income. That's great. But the kind of lifestyle I was leading at the time was also like not okay. Taking back metro At night when it's not safe Is not okay Just to save money It's You're putting yourself at risk So I've done stupid mistakes like this Like talking about it Number one Like actually accepting the fact That there's something wrong Was a big step And then Actively working towards it Definitely has Over time helped me improve it I won't say that I am now 100% comfortable Spending money on myself But I've gotten better. This month itself, I took like a trip to Bali, fully sponsored by my own money. And like I traveled, I would have never done that. Honestly, I could have afforded this even back in Bain, but I just wouldn't have done it. Little steps like this that, okay, I'm comfortable spending money on myself, on experiences that I would enjoy. It's just like a step in the right direction, I feel. I'm not there, but it's I'm getting it.
1: So all your content is backed by practical experience. You started trading at the age of 18. Walk us through that journey and how did you get the funds for it?
0: A lot of things happened at the right place, right time for me to have the experience that I have today. Starting with the fact that my dad's a here, So very early on, even as a child, we would have discussions around, oh, what's happening in the stock market? If he lost money in the stock market, if he made money in the stock market, which stocks worked for him, which stocks didn't, which stocks were like, just proved to be the biggest mistakes and which stocks didn't. And we talked about the 1992 scam and at, like, at length, I remember, if we had that discussion. Uh, because he made a lot of money very early on in, during that time, but also lost probably like 80% of his capital when that scam happened. So we talked about those things, like what he learned out of it at a very young age. I remember I was like probably 13, 14 when we were having these discussions. And I really enjoyed having those conversations because I think he knew how to put across those conversations in a way that like me and my brother would understand without making it very complicated. I think that's also where I derive a lot of inspiration from that. Okay, how can I explain it to somebody who's like a 10-year-old child? The way like my dad did it for me, like somebody who has absolute zero idea what the stock market is, how the money economy functions and stuff like that. That definitely helped me a lot. And my dad set up funds for both me and my brother in terms of like setting up index funds the minute we turned 18, setting up PPF accounts, even when we were minors. I don't think that's allowed anymore right now. But I remember our dad's like when I look at my PPF uh, account booklet now, it's actually from the post office. So it's that old. It's not even in a bank. So that tells me that from a very early on stage, he'd prepared for the fact that, oh, I have to save up for my kids and I have to set them up. And he did that. So that I'm very grateful. And apart from that, just the conversations that we were having around money, right? There was no taboo around money. Even when I lost money, I was not very apprehensive about going ahead and telling my dad. I actually used to think it was a funny experience when I went ahead and told my dad that, oh, I've lost money in crypto or I've lost money in trade or FNO or whatever, So we discussed the learnings out of it rather than him reprimanding me and saying that, oh, you're not allowed to trade anymore or you're not allowed to enter the stock market again. That really helped me. The fact that, oh, everybody makes mistakes, but you can learn from them and just very quickly move on rather than feeling that shame around money that, oh, I've lost money in the stock market. That means I cannot do it anymore and I'll just stay away from it forever. Number one, that I think is the biggest factor of everything else. Number two would be the environment that I was in when I was in college. So when because I was doing my master's in finance, everybody around me was talking about the stock market. We were studying subjects around the stock market. I remember one of the subjects which proved out to be very, very beneficial, even to this day, it was valuation. Like we were reading books like written by Damodaran, who's considered to be the father of like modern valuation. Because we were reading those subjects back in college and discussing about them. And like the entire class used to engage in active conversations around that and talking about where they lost money, where they made money. I think that also created an environment for sure for me to at least try it out. Even subjects like FNO and investment analysis, we had those subjects back in college. I think that really helped. At least create that initial curiosity around these things. So that became, I definitely feel that was the second biggest factor. And number three, around the monetary aspect of it. I was very grateful that I was in an environment where competitions used to happen very frequently. So when you're in the DU socket, every college organizes competitions very frequently. And the prize money is actually really good. If you win like one, two decent competitions, you easily can make up to 10k a month by just winning like one, two decent competitions not even like the biggest ones in the circuit that initially fueled like my passion for oh I want to trade and I want to do FNO and I want to do intraday trade and stuff like that so that initially fueled it in our college it was compulsory for us to intern after the second year I interned with Deloitte for almost two two and a half months and that's also where I saved up a lot of my money and I in my final year that's what I was using for most of my trading. But I remember towards the end of my final year, I stopped trading altogether because I'd burnt my fingers at this point in time, lost a lot of my capital that I'd made through these competitions and my internship. I stopped doing trading full time and I started reading up a lot about, oh, like these passive methods of investing and value investing and stuff like that. And that's when I recognized that, okay, probably I don't have the temperament to be a trader and that's okay. Not everybody has it and not everybody has the time and the patience to become a full-time trader and it's okay if I don't. Even if I'm passively investing, I can still make a lot of money. So that's what I started like focusing on. And also most of my content is around that. Even though I can talk a lot about FNO and trading, I don't think everybody has the means, time and the temperament to do trading. That's why most of my content then it comes to investing is also around passive and value investing because of the same reason.
1: Your father being a CA, What is his view about crypto?
0: He honestly doesn't think it to be worthy of investment. He believes that it's not an actual asset class to be invested in and he doesn't feel like it's backed by anything. So he comes from that mentality that, oh, what is it backed by? Stocks are backed by certain, there's some numbers to it. When it comes to crypto, he's like, oh, we're putting a lot of money in or thinking it'll happen in the future that, oh, a, a lot of it has to change for crypto to really replace like fiat currency. And to some extent, I do agree with him. Also, personally, is very against the idea of cryptocurrency. He doesn't feel that's a very valid asset class because, in his opinion, there's nothing backing it, which is obviously true. But he told me that it's okay for you because you're in your twenties to put money in your in a crypto asset because you right now have the risk profile and the time to garner something out of it. Like right now, because you are not responsible for anybody else, you just are responsible for yourself you can put a little bit of your money out of your portfolio, even into crypto, to just take that bet. He wouldn't personally do it because he's in his 50s, but he's asked me to do put a certain amount of, in crypto because he feels that I currently have that risk appetite that I can make something out of it. Even if I lose out on that money, it's okay. I always have time to kind of regain that amount because I still have time by my side in comparison to somebody who's in their 50s or 60s. He says that if you're in your 20s and you, if you have that risk appetite, that might not? Like put just like, 1-2% of your portfolio into crypto and see how it goes.
1: How do you think about LinkedIn? And how is that different from Instagram?
0: I feel people have more patience to read long-form content. I actually write all my captions on my own on Instagram because I want to break it down. I want to remove the jargon from the publications and just try and write it in my own words because number one, it enhances my own understanding of the subject. And also I feel that because I'm able to break it down to the absolute essentials, People also understand it better and people also will read it. The probability that they'll read it is a lot higher rather than if I just copy paste it from a publication. So that being said, I don't think a lot of people read captions on Instagram, to be very honest, which is why I've seen it. I've absor- absor- I have observed it for 18 months now that I write down certain points in the caption and people ask the same questions again and again in the comment section. Which means that they're not reading the caption. And I don't blame them for it, of course, because they've seen the entire video. And one, it's not possible to cover everything in 60 seconds. Sometimes I just write that down in the caption that, okay, also please take note of X, Y, Z. But I don't think people, a lot of people read. That being said, if you were to put the exact same content format on LinkedIn, I think the probability that people will read the entire article is a lot higher. I just personally feel that the attention span is higher on LinkedIn in comparison to Instagram. Also, I feel the the reasons why people are on these platforms is very different, which is if you understand that as a content creator, I think you can sort out your content strategy to a large extent. On LinkedIn, people are there to network professionally and learn something. When they open LinkedIn, that's what they're thinking: that okay, I'll probably learn something new, or I'll probably stumble upon an opportunity I didn't know about, or stumble upon a data point I didn't know about earlier. When people open Instagram, that's not what they're thinking. They're thinking, oh, it's more be entertained. I just want to laugh, like probably spend the next 30 seconds taking a break. That's about it. So that these are the two different perspectives that people open these websites with. And I think as as content creators, the sooner we understand that we'll be able to direct our content in a way that caters to that understanding, like caters to that need of the audience, which is why when I create content on LinkedIn, it's usually long form. It's usually talking about oh, like a personal thing that happened and what I learned out of it. When In comparison to if I talk about a personal story on Instagram, nobody cares. People there just want to be entertained. If I start doing like a sob story on Instagram, nobody would really read up. They would not get any views. But if I can use that story of mine where I made mistakes and what I learned out of it on LinkedIn, a lot more people would be interested.
1: As a content creator, how do you create legacy?
0: I think about this a lot because in today's day and age, it's so easy to just copy paste content right and i'm sure like every content creator at this point has faced this problem that oh probably a character that they developed got copied end to end or probably a storyline that was very them got copy pasted or a script that was theirs got copy pasted or topic that they came up with or found got copy pasted because it's just a 60 second video how much research would it really need for it to be copy pasted or how much you and to just impersonate somebody else's character does it take a lot of effort if it's just a 60-second video. Which is why I think creating legacy mm-hmm. on a platform like Instagram is even more tricky in comparison to say YouTube where you're able to like make 10 to 15 minute videos and it's a lot of your personality comes out right in 15 minutes and nobody can just impersonate you for 15 minutes creating legacy on YouTube that way it's easier of course creating long-form content on YouTube is a lot harder but creating legacy on YouTube is a lot easier that way because there's a lot of recall value there I feel because if somebody sits down and watches your entire 10 minute video they will remember who you are in comparison to say a 60 second video that I saw on Instagram while I was scrolling just randomly that being said when it comes to instagram like short form content in particular i think you can create legacy by number one trying to be original and trying to stand out and not trying to succumb to the algorithm and what the algorithm demands of you because i feel a lot of us like fall into that job especially when we're starting out and i've done it and see a lot of new creators do it now that oh there's a trending audio and how can i use that to create content but the truth is while it might get you a lot of views it will definitely not create an individualistic style of putting out content or a very unique brand proposition for you at all because everybody's doing that right so how are you standing out in pool of creators and so many these that are being put out every single second on the platform that's number one trying to not succumb to the algorithm and trying to have an original voice I, I think trying to be as true to who you are rather than just copy pasting what's working on the platform while it's great to know what's working on the platform and you can definitely customize it to who you are just blindly copy pasting somebody's walk will def. it might give you get your brand deal it might get you views it might get you the eyeballs that you think you need it might even get you followers but it'll no- never give you that loyal customer base in my opinion that these will never be the people who will be like raving fans. Of the work you do They'll never stop you Walking down the street And say oh I love what you do They'll probably be like Oh and I I know who you are I can't probably recall your name But I've seen you on Instagram I like your work But they'll never be like Oh my god Your content changed my life And stuff like that To experience that I think you need to Really have the courage To number one experiment There will be content pieces That will not work out While you're experimenting But that's okay That's the price that you have to pay To stand out and be original And number two Just having the patience Of giving it time We live in a world where like instant gratification is the name of the game. We see that, okay, what's working for everybody else, I'll just copy paste that and I'll also get views. And that works, unfortunately, on a platform like Instagram. But again, that instant gratification, and that's not really something I would recommend if you want to pursue content creation for a longer term duration. That's how you create legacy. I personally haven't done it myself, so I can't really say for sure. But in my opinion, these are the kind of creators that I look up to. And I, in my opinion, these are the creators who have created a legacy. So yeah, I would say that this is pretty much the blueprint.
1: What is a counterintuitive insight about content creation?
0: Oh, that's an interesting question. Counterintuitive insight. Something that I thought when I was starting as, as a content creator would work brilliantly for me was just putting out content every single day. And it did also to some extent. But I feel that that's a little counterintuitive because if you put out, say, seven pieces of content in a week, the quality will certainly drop. Especially if you don't have like team backing you or if you don't have the systems in place, which is certainly not the case when you're starting out. While a lot of people focus on, oh, I want to get out a reel today and I want to get out a reel every single day of the week. That's a great place to be in. It's sometimes not plausible or pragmatic because that will really drop down the quality of the content that you're putting out. Even while you're putting out seven pieces of content, you will just be at the end of the week thinking oh why am I not getting followers and why am I only getting say views for example why are those views netting not getting converted into followers or like people who actually engage with me in the comment section or dms and that's happening because probably you're not putting out quality content you're only putting out quantity that's something that's very counterintuitive and the algorithm certainly would push your more your content a lot more if you're putting out content every day but you really need to strike a balance between quality and quantity if you're only trying to put out filler content pieces or if you're putting out like 15 second videos which are just like on a trending audio for no rhyme or reason not really giving out a lot of value while it might get you the eyeballs like it might give you views because of the audio that's trending you'll never convert to followers for sure like people will not even remember what that video was about probably one minute after they see it that balance between okay quality and quantity is Probably the most important. Even if you put out, and this is an experiment again I've I've done. I'm telling you, I've done all sorts of experiments on my page now. Even if you take a break for a week, if you feel like you're not doing well mentally or if there's something that's happened in your family, you're not doing well just generally. If you take a week's break, it's not going to affect the algorithm a lot very honestly if you come out with a banger piece of content the next week you'll just be right on track I'm not even kidding when I went on this trip to Indonesia which I'm talking about in October early October I wasn't doing very well mentally because like things that happened in my family and stuff like that I thought that I'll take a break for a week and I didn't post anything I was really active on my stories but that's pretty much it I didn't take any pressure on oh no I have to put out a piece of content and I have to put out a piece of reel today otherwise I don't know what will happen literally nothing happened when I came back from the trip I put out a reel and that literally got 1 million views I'm not even kidding like it performed better than I thought it would what I'm trying to say here is that as content creators we take a lot of pressure on oh no I need to put out a content piece today because otherwise like I'll just lose my streak or I don't know like it's just a lot of mental pressure that we take without anybody saying anything like nobody's pushing you to put push out content but it's just like a pressure that we take it's very inbuilt but once you let it go like I suggest everybody to do that take a one week social media detox and you realize that nothing really changed you might probably lose like a couple of hundred followers but they were never going to stick around anyway if you're not putting out a piece of content a week and you lose followers it's fine they were not meant to be like your loyal customers any which way so it's fine losing that audience is completely fine I think people just struggle a lot with our numbers and Once you kind of let that go, it's a lot more fun to create content, I personally feel, when you lose out on that pressure.
1: Can you double click on your thought when you say somebody cannot copy your content is when you're creating authentic and high quality content?
0: This is something that my dad said to me. I saw that a lot of my reels were getting copied and a lot of characters that I played were getting copied. And I went to my dad because he also has his own business and he's seen this in his own line of business also that, oh no, like what he taught his employees, they just... Open up their own forms. That literally happened with him. I went to him and I was just like complaining and I was like, oh no, but like I put so much thought and effort. i was like just basically like sob story. Like at dinner time, and my dad just stopped me and told me that listen, if your content is such that anybody can copy-paste it, you're probably not creating good enough content. He told me that today he's not worried about teaching his employees anything because even if they open up their own form, He knows that what he is delivering and what he brings to the table cannot be copy-pasted. Literally, nobody can take that away from him. And his clients, for that reason, will never leave him because... He's bringing that certain amount of quality and experience with him when he gets on that table. He's bringing a lot more than just, oh, the legality of the work that he's doing. That's what he told me. He told me it's just not about the hard skills that you put out, but it's also about what is so unique about you as Shreya Kapoor that nobody else can copy. If you still haven't figured it out, it's your fault. There's no barrier to entry in this space, right? You can, you just literally need internet connection and a device. That's what he, told me. He told me that if your content is getting copy-pasted left-hand right, center, number one take pride in the fact that somebody is copy-pasting your content they thought of it as worthy enough to recreate it and number two, try to rise above it. Try to create content that is very unique to you in a way that nobody can copy-paste it and the minute they do it, it shouts Shreya Kapoor from, even from a length that people can easily, very easily see that it's something that Shreya would do and this person is just trying to like get that. So either do that or just stop crying. Like basically that was my dad's speech it was definitely my dad giving me a reality check
1: how is Gary V different from Ali Abdal?
0: oh wow I definitely am a fan of both very honestly I might not agree with things that they say or the way they say it but I have respect for everybody who has been able to create the legacy that they have you cannot create a legacy that Ali Abdal or Gary V have created by just talking about random things they definitely have something that a lot of us don't so that's just that in itself is very admirable very honestly even if you don't agree with what they as individuals believe in or say you have to give it to them that they've been able to create a fan following which will probably do go to lengths to do anything for them but that being said I definitely feel that having consumed both of their content just as a consumer and just as somebody who's watch the content I would say that Ali's content is more of that it's more like you're talking to a friend and he's like giving you friendly advice and that oh I've also made this mistake and this is how I avoided them and this is how it became, like, the fight. This is how I overcame, like, a struggle and all of that. So his story is a lot more relatable to me as an audience. Gary Vee is more of a mentor. That's something that you want to become. Like, he's something you look up to. And he's something that, oh, like, he's a motivator. Like, he's a mentor that you will go to when you're, like, just feeling absolute shit. But at least content is something that you would watch just, like, eating dinner. Because he's, it's like t- talking to a friend. I think that's how... At least I look at it.
1: Brilliant. Shreya, that is a great place to close this conversation. Thanks for being on the show.
0: Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. It was really nice talking to you.
1: You can find the show notes for this episode and every other episode on one If you enjoy this conversation, share it on social media and leave a review. See you next time.